Hello and welcome to You Just Got Homeschooled. This is RJ. And today um, I'm continuing my trend of being random and going to talk about what I kind of have dubbed car schooling. Um, so my wife made a joke the other day um, because she's like, it seems that you do most of your teaching in the car. And I realized that that was true. I do do the vast majority of my like direct instruction, if you would want to call it that, like my, my lecturing, um, if, you, if you want to call it that, in the car while driving. And I think it's because, I was thinking about it because I was you know, processing this. I think the reason why this happens is, is because it's probably the one time um, or the one activity that, that we do regularly enough on like decent length drives where me and my daughter in particular are both sitting in the same place at the same time without um, either the constant distraction of um, kids running around and the interruption that that brings or you know, other just distractions. And so we're in the same place at the same time and can and dedicate things. And it, I find that it's also the place where like life happens in a sense, like, like we're driving and we see things, which then sparks conversations with then, um, because I am curious and I love teaching and all this kind of stuff, um, I'm able to kind of stream of consciousness, sort of pseudo unintentionally educate as I'm just trying to explain everyday things to her. And so in this particular case, we were driving um, back from an appointment and it's, you know, the appointment was about an hour away. And so we're driving back and um, where we were driving through, the air quality was less than ideal. And so that, that created a conversation between my daughter and I uh, that started with how dirty the air was and why it was dirty. And then that led to a conversation about things that could be done to clean the air or to make the air less dirty by just not putting as much in it. And so in this particular case, um, I was talking about, you know, the, the smog was bad. The air was dirty. You could see it like there was a line of like brown haze. And above that line, it was much cleaner. And below that line, if you've ever flown into the Southern California um, during the daytime, you will see this you fly in and you hit, you can see this layer from above that is just absolutely disgusting um, in my mind. And I'm like, why am I breathing this? How did I become, you know, it's like you, you fly in and you become a smoker. And it's not always that bad, but I just look at it and it, it bugs me. Um, and it bugs me partly because, and this is what I was telling her, it's like we have the technology to not have this. And yet for reasons that are primarily political, we don't. And so what I was explaining to her is that um, the gas that comes out of our stove that we light on fire to cook our food, right? Um, it's only real byproduct is carbon dioxide, which is why you can burn it safely in a house and it's not really a problem. And we can burn natural gas in vehicles. In fact, there are a lot of the buses and stuff like that are natural gas. And the distribution network obviously is pretty sizable because it goes to pretty much every house in our area and pretty much every house in, you know, the, the greater Southern California area. And 
it can be compressed, which is why the buses can run on it. And obviously the engines work and all those kind of things. And it doesn't produce the kind of smog that we're talking about, even if it does produce greenhouse gases as designated by Congress. Um, it doesn't produce all the brown stuff, all the carcinogens and all that stuff that, that regularly come out of gasoline tailpipes. And the, the leading reason why we don't do this is twofold. One, the engines are more expensive because they're not mass, mass produced in the same way because there's not the demand. And two, there's a law, at least in California that I'm aware of, that says you cannot compress natural gas at home or not store natural, compressed natural gas at home unless it's in the vehicle that's going to consume that natural gas. So that's obviously prohibitive. And so there's kind of this like weird thing where we could do it, but we don't want to. And she's like, well, why, why don't we want to? Like if it's cleaner and it's safer in the sense of like, you know, at, at burning it goes and it doesn't produce the same kind of things. And we wouldn't have to breathe all of that. And they already have it for big buses and things like that. And even smaller vehicles. Why don't we do it? Well, it's like, well, and you can actually take a, a current engine, like a, a gasoline burning engine and convert it to burn um, compressed natural gas. But you, in a California, you have to go to a special like certified place to have it converted. And that gets expensive. And basically there's very few fill stations because there's very few cars, because there's very few engines made because they have to retool to make those kind of engines. And there's not enough demand, but there's not enough demand because there's not enough infrastructure. And because the government basically controls, at least this, the local governments have the most conveniently placed service stations. And so it's just like this whole, this whole system. Right. And I'm like, well, well, she's like, well, why don't we do this? And I'm like, well, because the politicians oftentimes vote instead to spend lots of money backing alternative energy, things like hydrogen fuel cell cars or electric cars, which aren't necessarily bad. But then you have the problem of where's that electricity coming from? Because if I'm driving my electric car and I'm plugging it at home, which is probably going to be at the end of the day, right? Because most people who, who drive, um, especially for work in Southern California, which could be anywhere from, you know, 25 minutes to two hours every single day, each direction, um, they're going to plug in at the same time that everyone else does, which is in the late afternoon, early evening, which is when the highest demand is, but the least production of like renewable resources in the sense of like solar or wind goes, which means that they're still pulling power from natural gas power plants predominantly because there's now only one um, currently operating nuclear power plant in California that I'm aware of anyways. And so it's still producing the carbon dioxide that they're afraid of for burning natural gas engines. And so it's just like this loop. And so that then led to other conversations about the nature of science and how science works and the great benefits of science, but then also kind of the way that science has become um, so politically dependent um, because you can't get funding from political entities unless you hold a particular scientific stance, whether or not that evidence leads there. And so it, like, it, it rolled, right? This, this conversation that started off with dirty air rolled into so many other things. And so, and I think that's the beauty of homeschool is 
you can do this in the car. And the funny part is, is this is my kid that when I have to sit down her, sit down with her at, you know, looking at a book or, you know, working on math problems, I have to like poke and prod her and like just not let her escape to get her to do the work. But when we're having a conversation in the car, she's engaged and she's asking questions. Questions that she would never ask if we were sitting at home. And I relish the opportunity. Um, and, and this is not, I'm just a curious person. I love learning stuff, all sorts of stuff. In fact, my mom was commenting today. Um, she watched our kids for a little bit and she's like, your five-year-old is just like you were. He's just a wealth of random facts. He just like watches things and learns things and catches, you know, like, like figure catches them and then repeats them. Like today we were sitting in the car, um, in between a couple of things. And my five-year-old, five-year-old asks, what's the biggest pine cone? I have no idea where he came up with this. He just asked, what's the biggest pine cone? He's like, can you look it up? So I look it up, right? And I'm scrolling through trying to find the biggest pine cone. And I find an article that talks about the biggest pine cone or website. And it's like, it's the Coulter, Coulter pine. And he's like, where does it live? And so I'm scrolling and it goes, the San Jacinto mountains. I'm like, these mountains right here. Because we live within side of the San Jacinto mountains. He goes, really? Can we go up there and find them? I'm like, I don't know. They live at high altitude. So maybe at some point, but I'm just a curious person, but because I'm a curious person, I get to learn with my kids. I didn't know what the Coulter pine was the largest pine, you know, produced the largest pine cones. I had no clue, but because I enjoy learning and my kids enjoy learning, hopefully, I'm hoping to increase that joy of learning, right? That's, that's part of my reason for homeschooling. We get to feed off of each other and they get to see me learn and get excited about learning, which in turn gets them excited about learning. And then when I'm sharing stuff that I already know, they get to ask questions and we get to ponder together and we get to go find stuff together. And, and we all learn in the process because even in the process of teaching, like one of the best ways to learn is to teach, like hands down. You want to get something, like you want to really understand something, teach it. Just teach it. Try teaching it. Like this is why like the one room schoolhouse concept was actually really useful because as much as I'm generally not a fan of schoolhouses, a teacher who has to teach, you know, kindergarten through 12th grade is going to have to have older kids help younger kids. What, they're, what they probably weren't aware of all the time and, and what most of us aren't aware of is that when you have an older kid who understands a concept, teach it to a younger kid, they are actually teaching themselves and learning more because they're having to reframe it probably a couple of different times in order to have it better understood by the younger kid. And so you're serving two purposes at the same time. One, the younger kid is learning the material they need to learn. And two, the older kid is relearning and getting a deeper understanding of the material that they already learned. And the same thing goes for us as adults, as parents, as grandparents, as aunts, uncles, as, as mentors, whatever it is, youth leaders. We get to learn with them. And when they see that, they catch that same passion. I get to learn with you. Like there's questions I can ask that you don't know the answer to. Yeah. And I get excited and, and you get excited and we all get excited because maybe it's not like a, a bouncing off the wall excited, but you know, like 
excited in the, that's a really good question. And it forces me to think. Some of the best things I've ever like came up with or like not come up with like thinking about were because students in classrooms asked me questions and I didn't know how to answer. And so I had to think through it because I thought I understood it. And then they asked me a question. I realized, wait a second, that's a good question. Let me think through it. And so I had to think through it. I was forced to by nature of teaching. And so I think car schooling is a great option. I think if you have the opportunity to sit with your kid in a car, like whenever you do it, take the opportunity. When it arises, ask the question or make a comment and engage them if they'll, if they'll engage with you. And this is why I'm actually really glad that like we don't have one of the fancy vehicles that's got like screens built into the seats and stuff like that because we're able to have a lot of fun in the car, um, you know, listening to music or talking about things. I mean, we get annoyed in the car, too, because we got lots of kids and they like make noises and fight and squabble and throw things and spill things and all that kind of stuff. But there is those opportunities or those moments where I could be like, yeah, you're right. That, that, that architecture does look like that other architecture, right? The fire station does look like the mission that was back there. Or you're right that I wonder what kind of tree that is. Maybe we can find that out later. Or, hey, look, it, that's a dairy and that's a cattle farm. And those are different. And so there's an opportunity to teach even little kids. Like that cow, is a, that cow is a meat cow and that cow is a milk cow and they're different. We had a whole conversation the other day about pasteurization. We were driving by dairies and we were talking about pasteurization because they had brought, they had watched a, uh, I think it was a Netflix video on like, um, I think it was, I think the, the video is called The Great American Farm Tour by Justin and Rebecca Rhodes. And so it was like a self-made film that, they put on uh, Amazon Prime. And it's a great movie if you've never watched it or documentary. And they drive around through all 50 states and go to different farms and just kind of explain what's going on in various places. And none of the farms, you know, they spend more than a few minutes with, but it's a great documentary. And so the kids like take in some of that stuff and they're, oh, we should do that. Or what is that tractor for? Or, you know, what are they raising that? Or why is it so dry over here? Or, you know, what are those birds? And so, we have the opportunity and we take the opportunity to teach them, to educate them, to, to engage with them and to share what we know and to learn with them because that's really what this is about, right? It's about curiosity. It's about learning together. It's about um, the fun of it all. And so I encourage you car school or airplane school if, you're, if you fly a lot, um, you go boating, just look for the opportunities to to make education, make learning something that doesn't look like a classroom. There's a place and a time for classrooms. And I think there are times when you need to sit down and write things out with pen and paper. But again, um, like I've said before, it's the emotional connection that oftentimes solidifies in your brain what you're learning. If you think back to those things that are most memorable to you, those times where you learned a lot, there's either really strong emotions one way or another, or it's connected to a person who is particularly impactful, right? Whether for good or for bad, but particularly impactful. It's the, the going fishings, the, the paintings, the baking, the um, whatever it is, the you know, moving from house to house, um, your dog dying, whatever it is, those, those, those things crystallize and they help stick in your memory. And so when you can make education something like that, 
where you're like, oh, remember that time? Like I, I, we, we went somewhere and we happened to find, um, it must have been like a, a mountain lion kill or something. It was a dead deer. Um, it had been stripped of all of its flesh. It was just basically a, a head and a spinal column and ribs. But like my kids won't forget that, at least the ones that were old enough to remember it, you know, like my, my five-year-old and my, my 10-year-old. At that time, they weren't that old. But they'll remember that because, one, I have the antlers out, you know, like I have them still. And so they know what those things are and they know where they came from and they know why they're there. And so that's a story. And that story that I can connect to, like when we talk about environments and we talk about predation, right? I can reference, you remember when we found that deer skeleton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The such, you know, and they, well, the reason why it was so picked clean is because, you know, a mountain lion or maybe some coyotes killed it or maybe it was injured and it got killed. And so it got eaten. Remember how it didn't have any real meat on it when we got there? Oh, yeah, there was no meat in it, but there was lots of flies. What were there flies? Well, because the flies eat the meat and they lay their eggs in it and then there's maggots and the maggots clean off the bones. And so well, what are the antlers for? Oh, they use the antlers for this. And so it'll, it lends itself to all these different things, all these different learning opportunities. And if I don't know, it's great because I can go, we should go learn that together. And car schooling allows that. It allows for the pulling together of your life for the purpose of education. And it allows for um, you to exploit the opportunities to go all sorts of ways. And, and it's not even like exploiting in a, in a negative sense, but like the conversation we had about the started with the dirty air probably covered three or four different topics. We talked about, we talked about um, obviously dirty air and science. We talked about engineering a little bit. We talked about economics a little bit. We talked about politics a little bit. Um, we talked about uh, things like farming and agriculture and how they relate historically and how they relate um, like to science. And, and so like they, they get a better, or at least I'm hoping they're getting a better, more holistic understanding of what life is like. You know, what, what factors are, are playing. Economics is not a field that is isolated from the other fields. Politics is not a field that is isolated from the other fields. Science, history, architecture, like all these things are not separate. They're all integrated. They're all intertwined and closely connected. And so um, we, we pull them out in order to, to kind of hopefully isolate them enough to better understand them. But as soon as we break them apart, we have problems. Like we have politicians who have this problem. They have degrees in economics, but don't understand money. How? Because it's completely separate. We have people who have scientists, but don't understand, you know, they're, they're in their science, but they don't, they're, they're not willing to apply the scientific method to everything. Because that would mean that they'd have to be able to demonstrate and, and repeatedly demonstrate whatever it is, whatever truth claim they're making, whatever belief statement they're saying. And if they can't, then they're basically functioning as a religion, right? If I have to believe a certain set of dogmatic principles that cannot be proven by science in order to be considered a scientist, then the science in that particular case has become a religious matter because it's, it's moving beyond um, science's scope, right? And so there's all these different things um, that that we need to be aware of, that we need to be cognizant of, and um, we need to integrate for our kids because that's what they're learning. Like, 
When we separate out subjects, I think we do more harm than good because life isn't separated. I can't, you know, go and do the math for my budget and not connect it to my grocery list, right? And not connect it to my morality, right? Because we spend money on what we believe is right in a lot of ways. Like if if you say that you're being super health conscious, but you're eating at McDonald's every day, then we got a problem, right? We need to integrate these things across the board. If we're saying that we don't want to do this or this kind of thing is bad, and yet we're spending money to support it, the kids will pick that up, maybe not initially and maybe not consciously, but eventually they'll understand. We speak far more with our actions than we do with our words. And so um, I think it's important for us to teach an integrated worldview because the world is integrated, right? When my kids say they're bored, I'm like, welcome to life. We all got to clean toilets, fold laundry, do dishes. That's life. It's not all fun and games. Yeah, but I'm bored. One of the best things for a kid to be is bored. That's how imaginations are made, right? That's how you learn to get through things that are hard and difficult. So um, I hope you found this encouraging. You know, I, I strongly encourage you to go out and take the opportunities you have to teach, right? To learn. In fact, I would say take the opportunities you have to learn, when you're sitting with people, when you're talking with people, when you put yourself in positions to learn, ask your kids what they want to know and then go find it with them so they can see you learn. Because that's so important. It's so important for you to be curious so they can be curious. Because when you're curious and they're curious, you, you feed, it's a positive feedback loop for both of you. So, I, you know, like I said, I hope you found this encouraging. I'm, I'm hoping you're sensing my excitement about learning. Um, I, I absolutely love it. Like... My biggest frustration with being an adult is the fact that they stop me. Like they, they, I feel bogged down <laughs> by the fact that I have to like regular life, right? I gotta, I gotta do all these things, and they won't, they won't pay me to be a student. I'm like, please just let me learn more things. Um, but that, and I'm like, I, I, I'm all over the place, like. I remember even in college, we were like, you seem to have an opinion about everything. I'm like, well, it's not that I have an opinion about everything, but I am interested in all sorts of stuff. And so I've, I, I read history, I read science, I read science fiction, I read, you know, I watch and read stuff that runs the gamut, you know, and um, it's so... Everything is just so interesting. And so I like to pick people's brains and I like to understand things and I like to bring things from different areas together and, and try to make them um, mesh because in my mind, it's all integrated. It's not separate. And so I, I hope you get that from me and recognize that like, that's just me. You know, if, if you like the, the more clear cut boxes, that's great. You know, and I encourage you to, to be open to the idea the boxes probably overlap a lot more than you think they do. And to explore that, because I think there's a lot more fun to be had. There's a lot more interest in a world that is integrated than in one that is not. I mean, that's how our brains work, right? They're all, all these neurons and dendrites all touching each other and they're all integrated, which is why 
they can be fired in clumps and things that don't seem like they should be connected are connected. And well, maybe another time I'll, I'll go into some neuroscience stuff that I've learned because, again, like I said, I'm weird and I go around looking for that kind of stuff um, periodically whenever the, the mood strikes me. But engage your kids. Be curious with your kids. Give them agency. Let them ask questions. Ask questions yourself. Um, what do you think? How do you feel? Um, what do you think would be fun? What do you want to know? All those type of things. And as always, um, please like, subscribe, follow, stars, all that kind of stuff. Follow us on Instagram, um, Homeschool Podcast, and share with a friend. Please, I'd love to see more and more people uh, hopefully join us and learn more about homeschooling and just be encouraged and um, being aware of what's going on in the world of homeschooling and why it's so important and how it's so good for you and for your kids. Uh, and, and just that knowledge that they are loved and they are cared for and their parents want them want them there with them regularly and want to teach them and want to learn with them and alongside them and at the same time um, grow and and be curious. So uh, have a great day and I look forward to seeing you again.